I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 10, the last paragraph, beginning in the 38th verse, talking about a couple of ladies that probably most of us are very familiar with, Martha and Mary, and we know them from John's Gospel as having a brother named Lazarus. So we have Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and um, although Lazarus is not mentioned in Luke's Gospel, uh, he just simply uh, focuses, and maybe he wasn't there, but he focuses on these two women. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in Sunday school. Uh, from, in fact, I have a one-year perfect attendance pin for my first year of life. <laughs> My uh, my um, adopt uh, well foster mother uh, took me to the Presbyterian Church for a solid year without missing a Sunday when I was just a baby. So I literally grew up kind of in the in the church and in the Sunday school, and I learned all the Bible stories. And uh, I you know I learned about Mary and Martha and Lazarus always in that order. And um, in that association, I kind of envisioned. These two sisters and a brother living together in the same household. They probably didn't have uh, spouses. They didn't have any kids. It was just, you know, the three of them. Well, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that that's the case. Um, We know that at the time, uh, particularly at this time in Jesus' ministry, they were all residing in Bethany. And so we know they lived in the same town. But that's not uncommon for families. And uh, it could be that, uh, you know, uh, Mary and Martha may have been single women. We assume that because their husbands aren't mentioned. Lazarus may have been single. We don't know. Uh, But at any rate, um, we do know that when we see them, they are frequently together because they're focusing around an opportunity to spend some time with Jesus. And that's usually what happens. And and we learn from John that... um, this was a place where Jesus uh, frequently found uh, welcome hospitality. That, that this was a place that he enjoyed uh, being. Well, it turns out that as they were on their journey, and Luke does not uh, tell us what time in the journey that this occurred. Remember that back in the beginning of chapter 10, the journey is from Galilee down to Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus is focused on the cross. And uh, Bethany is only a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. So uh, we would assume this might have been near the end, but we don't know how much uh, traveling about he did. If he sent out the 70 and told them to go into cities two by two, we can assume there was at least 35 towns he wanted to visit. We don't know how long that would have taken, and so... um, we don't know if he moved back and forth or what. It's not material to the story. What Luke is focusing on is what happened and, and the message, the teaching that came out of it as Jesus uh, shared a meal with Martha and Mary. And so if you follow me in the scriptures beginning in verse 38, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sisters left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried about and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, the interesting thing about the story is Mary never says a word. It's a story about Mary, but she's a silent participant in this exchange. Uh, Martha is the one who gains the focus at the beginning. And I don't know how you learned the story. I'm sure this is not new to any of you. But the way I learned it kind of growing up, uh, and then as I got to where I was sitting in church when I was older and listening to the sermon, what I learned was that uh, Martha was kind of the worldly, um, busybody uh, kind of person that was, you know, uh, focused on stuff. And Mary was the spiritual person that was focused on Jesus. And the, and the uh, real distinction here was between worldliness and fleshliness and uh, spiritual depth and, and whatever. That is not the case. And we learn that because of the word that's used, Martha was distracted. It literally means that she was conflicted about what she wanted to be doing. In fact, Martha wanted to be where Mary was. She wanted to enjoy Jesus' fellowship. But the fact is that she felt the necessity of getting this Probably very elaborate meal prepared. This is a special guest. And she wanted to get the meal prepared, but she wanted to be listening to Jesus at the same time. You can almost imagine her occasionally peeking out of the kitchen, and then, oh, oh, something's boiling over, so I gotta go back and take, you know, and she's feeling this tension and this frustration, and finally it gets to her. And Mary's just, I mean, she's just sitting there at Jesus' feet, just drinking in every word. And Martha can't stand anymore. You know, and so she goes out and she, she comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care, you know, that I'm doing all this work by myself. And here's Mary just sitting at your feet doing nothing. Tell her to get up and help me. You know, I need some help in there. There's some things about Martha's story that really ring true with us, aren't they? When you invite someone for dinner, what's your goal? Isn't it to enjoy their company? Don't you want to have their fellowship? Isn't that the purpose? You know, I I want to invite you over to spend some time with you. I want to visit with you. I I want to find out what's going on in your life and, and enjoy the company together. But then when we invite somebody over, what do we do? Busy, busy, busy. You know, we've got to vacuum the carpet. We've got to mop the floors. We've got to get everything in its place. We've got to pick up all the, the debris. We've got to dust all the furniture. We've got to go out to the grocery store and buy the special food. We've got to put together the menu. We, you know, and, and then as people ring the doorbell, we're all those last-minute preparations, you know, and we're trying to get the, the ham out of the oven, and we're trying to get the gravy made, and we're trying to... All this stuff is going on. And particularly if you're left alone to do it. 
You know, you begin to feel like, ah, why did I ever think to do this? This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I should not have people over. It frustrates me every time. You know, and, and you get all this turmoil going inside, and then you start what? Snapping at people. You know, get in here and help me. And, and you get all of that stuff going on like, you know, we understand Martha. Don't put her down as not being unspiritual. She loves the Lord. She wants to be with Him. That's what's distracting her. Uh, the, the word in the original language is very interesting. It, it's, to, it's to draw. The root of the word is to draw, like drawing a sword out of your scabbard, you know. Except that the prefix that's attached to it means it, you don't know which way to pull it. It's going in different directions. You're being dragged about in many directions. It's only used here. Martha was being dragged about by her conflicting desires. She did love the Lord. She did want to listen. She did want to uh, pay attention to Him. But she also felt the need to prepare and serve Him. And she felt the desire to want to, to really put out a nice dinner for Him. And, and uh, whichever of His disciples may have been with Him. That was also uppermost in her mind. And she had all of this uh, pressure of uh, preparation and, and making sure everything was just ideal for her hospitality. It's interesting that as we learn more about these two sisters from John's Gospel, the next time we find them having a dinner, Martha once again is doing the cooking and Mary once again is at the feet of Jesus. I mean, it just seems to be the way that this unfolds. And one of the things that you know, we, we might be tempted to think is, well, this is Martha's temperament. This is just her personality. This is how she serves. She serves by doing things. Mary serves by listening. Martha serves by doing that, you know. And, and some of us are wired that way. We're, we're wired, uh, we're type A kind of uh, high motivated doers that, that always have to be busy, busy, busy. And, and so, you know, we look at Martha and we say, well, that's just Martha's temperament. But I want to point out to you that as we get further along in this, we're going to realize that the way you are is not an excuse for the right priorities and the right values. So many times over the years, I've heard people say, usually in defense of some uh, poor behavior. Well, that's just the way I am. And I want you to know that Jesus came to change the way we are. He didn't come to destroy our personality. He didn't come to make us into something different. In fact, the Scripture says, each one of us was skillfully woven together in our mother's womb. God had a hand in making us who we are and giving us our aptitudes and our temperaments and our personalities as a part of His plan, crafting us for His intended purposes. But because of sin, those things get out of whack. It's interesting that sometimes our negative points 
when uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, actually become positives. Stubbornness and obstinacy can be turned into tenacity and an unwillingness to give up ahead of time by the grace of God. And so what was a negative can be turned to a positive. But the underlying kind of thing is is there. And it's not that Martha's serving was wrong. Uh, You know, if we invited a house guest, I mean, think about this. Let's flip the thing around. If we invited a house guest and we left the piles of laundry all over the family room or wherever you sort them, and we left, you know, uh, dust on the tables. And, uh, you know, we just broke out a can of pork and beans. What would that say about our value of our guest? And say, we don't care anything about you. You know, yeah, you can come eat. I'll give you some soup out of a can. You know, but there's nothing wrong with the preparation and and treating your guest as special. That's not the problem here. Nor is it the problem that Mary is inclined towards service. That's not a wrong approach. The problem is, is that she is conflicted and distracted by a fleshly desire to go overboard and to get it out of order in terms of what is truly valuable. And what was really important in this moment, Jesus is in the house. You don't have a lot of time one-on-one with Him. Listen. He's here. The most important thing is what He has to give. You notice also that Mary's um, struggle erupts in a bad attitude that kind of looks like the nursery instead of... uh, Martha, thank you, thank you. Did I say Mary? Martha. Martha doesn't say, Mary doesn't say a word, remember. Martha. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to do all the serving? Tell her to help me. I mean, doesn't that sound like five-year-olds? You know? Why do I have to do all the work? Tell him to give me back my toy. I mean, it's that kind of, what's going on with you, Martha? But, you know, the sad reality is, is that sometimes we grow weary in well-doing. And when we become weary in well-doing, attitudes begin to develop. We've long since stopped operating out of the power of the Spirit. Now we're just running on autopilot. We're just going from one thing to the next, trying to get it all done. And all of a sudden, we begin to feel like martyrs. You know, I'm the only one that ever does any work. I'm the only one that cares about this thing. You know, nobody nobody ever wants to help me. And we begin to feel put upon. And an attitude of frustration begins to build. And pretty soon, we're not even acting like followers of Christ. We're saying the strangest things.
you know, to go up to Jesus and say, don't you care about me? That's pretty bold. But you know, how many, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you have ever prayed like that? Lord, Elijah did. He said, Lord, look at me. I did all this by myself. These prophets of Baal and all this stuff. And I, I'm the only one, only one in Israel that loves you. I'm, I'm it. I'm the last person. And God says to Elijah, this is my paraphrase. Elijah, quit whining. There's 7,000 people in Israel that have never bowed the knee to Baal. You're not by yourself. He felt by himself. Because as far as he could see, he was the only one that was doing anything. And that was his perspective. And Martha is beginning to feel that way. And sometimes we feel that way. And when we do, we say some pretty strange things. Uh, and, And our whole... Uh, attitude sours and then where's the joy tension is introduced into the house there's not as much fun at the meal because something's been said that's already affected people and all of a sudden the, the atmosphere has changed Martha is not a stranger to us is she Don't we relate to her? Don't we recognize her? I do. Mary, on the other hand, has done something very unusual in this story. And Luke doesn't even bother to to point it out other than just saying something that that anyone in the first century would have went, (gasps) Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, in our culture, we're pretty accustomed to mingling men and women. And I'm grateful that times have changed and, and we've become far more uh, relaxed and, and, you know, can have uh, couples friendships and we can have friendships with members of the opposite sex and we can, we can enjoy much more camaraderie than they could in the first century. Now, I appreciate my brothers and my sisters. But in the first century... And way back in the recesses of my past, there, there, there were some similarities to this where, you know, the men, uh, well, we didn't eat separately, but very frequently the women were in the kitchen doing the preparation and the men were uh, talking about manly stuff. And then, you know, they were being served. And it was like, what? Man, this is, this is weird. But in the first century and even in the Middle East today, sometimes women are never even seen. Only the men are allowed to be together. The women are kept in another part of the house if they are seen. And in Jesus' day, their typical time when a woman would be seen is when she brings out another dish of food and puts it on the table for the men. They did not intermingle in the home. And furthermore, if you ever did find some relaxed kind of atmosphere about as far as it would go would be a woman perhaps standing in the doorway or off in the corner somewhere um, just quietly observing to find 
this woman sitting at the feet of Jesus was a, a breach of every cultural value. This was astounding. And what is equally astounding is the Lord's attitude about it. It was perfectly fine with Him. Jesus was very confrontational about the aspects of culture that ran counter to the heart of God. And He welcomed Mary sitting at His feet. Now, in those days as well, and there have been Sundays when my back has been particularly painful that I thought this is, this is actually a good idea. Um, the teachers would sit, and they would uh, find a little more elevated place, and they would sit down, and then their pupils would uh, gather around them, usually sitting on the floor. I, I won't ask you to sit on the floor, but anyway, that was a pretty common kind of thing. They might have a cushion or something, but they would sit around the rabbi at his feet. Paul trained at the feet of Gamaliel. That's literal. That's what that means. That is literal. They would sit at the rabbi's feet and they would listen. And if they were going to ask a question, they might stand to ask a question. We saw that uh, in the case uh, in the previous story with the lawyer. And so Mary was actually occupying the role of a disciple and, and a, a particular disciple, one who was front row and center, one that wanted to hang on every word, one, one that wanted to drink in everything that the teacher had to say. One commentator I read said that Martha and Mary in their devotion to Christ were like Peter and John among the male disciples. Peter's always the impetuous one, you know, always the first one to talk, always going, uh, you know, in high gear. And John is the contemplative, thoughtful one, at least most of the time. You know, he was one of the sons of thunder, and I'm not sure how all that works together. But, but I thought that was an interesting observation, because when we see Mary on two occasions, we see her at the feet of Jesus, we see Martha serving, but Mary wants to be close, she wants to drink it in, she wants to listen, she wants to hear what he has to say. You know, as I thought about it, when you consider the disciples and how dull they were to perceive that Jesus was really going to a cross, even though he talked about it, not that he kept that a secret at this point. He's open about it. He said, the Son of Man is going, going to be crucified. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. They couldn't connect with that. It just did not fit their image of Messiah, King of Kings. They just could not reconcile that with what they anticipated. Even his closest disciples. But the last time we see Mary... She is anointing his feet with perfume. And Judas, being Judas, says, This is a waste. We should have sold that and 
giving the money to the poor, and John tells us parenthetically he wasn't really interested in the poor. What he wanted to do was get more cash in the bag so because he, he pilfered it, and he wanted uh, more, more pickings. But uh, Jesus said, leave her alone, for she is doing this in anticipation of my burial. It's like, wow. You know, Mary got it. Mary, Mary listened. She understood, I believe, what was happening. I, I don't think she understood all of the implications of it, but I think she knew what was happening with Jesus. Because she took the time to pay attention to what he was saying. Now, if you're like me, again, when you, when you read this story at first blush, you come to Jesus' response to Martha. And it's almost like he didn't get it, you know? It's a put-down. I'm not telling Mary to get up and go help. I don't care what you're doing in there. She chose the better part. I don't think that's quite the attitude that's conveyed. But, but we tend to get that impression. Is Jesus being insensitive? First of all, notice what he says. And, and we use this kind of speech as well. You know, you may be in the, in the thick of a project or something, and, and you may be, or, or someone has just sublimely disappointed you, or whatever's going on, and your, your heart goes out to them because you love them, but you're disappointed. So, forgive me when I pick on you, Ron, but, <laughs> you know, but, but we might, you know, I might say something like, Ron, oh, Ron, you know how we use the name twice. We're we're conveying our love, our empathy, but also our disappointment. You know, and Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. It's almost like Shh. you are troubled and bothered about so many things. That's not a comment about dinner. That's a comment about Martha. That's Jesus' assessment of her life. The last word that he uses, uh, it literally means to be churned like the sea foam, like in the ocean. Uh, she is troubled, she's worried, and she's agitated like the sea because she's always got so many things she's trying to handle and her life is in this turmoil. And Jesus is saying to her, that needs to change. And Mary has chosen the best portion. Now, it's interesting that he uses an allusion to food. Because literally the word relates to the dinner. This is the choice cut of meat. This is the best piece. Mary has chosen the best portion. And it will not be taken from her. 
And when he says that, I think there's um, more depth than just a simple explanation that she's sitting at his feet. I think he's saying that, first of all, she recognized what was valuable here. She understood what was really important. And she went for it. And I commend that. Secondly, she chose something that could not be taken away. If you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty tomorrow. If you eat this food, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. But if you come to me, I have the words of life eternal. I am the living water. I am the living bread. If you take of me, you will never thirst. You will never be hungry. This will last forever. And Mary connected with that. She knew that to be at Jesus' feet, listening to His words, was the greatest privilege and the most important priority at this moment. And she rightfully recognized that being distracted by preparing an elaborate meal was not the main thing. Now, I've said to you that it's not wrong to prepare. It's not. All of us have responsibilities of life. Every one of us. We have things we have to do. We have errands to run. We have groceries to buy. We have work to do. We have responsibilities. You know, the clothes have to be laundered. Um, the floors do have to be vacuumed occasionally anyway. You know, there, there's things that have to be done. They just have to be. And we have those kinds of responsibilities. You know, you got to buy your car tag. And yes, I did do that, but I haven't put it on yet. I should probably do that. Um, <laughs> actually, I've been stopped two or three times over the years and told to put it on. One time it was pouring down rain and the state police had no empathy for me. I have it right here, officer. All right, get out and put it on. Uh, that is a real rabbit trail. <laughs> I have it in the car and it's not on my car. Uh, I better stick it there. Okay, enough said. We have all these things that are constantly pulling at us. And this is actually the point of the message. It doesn't matter what you have to do. It doesn't matter how many things you have to do. There is nothing more important than spending time at the feet of Jesus. That is the one thing you cannot live without. Without me, you can do nothing. Oh, yes, we can, we can get a lot of busyness done. We can pay bills and we can run errands and, yeah, we can do stuff like that. But Jesus is talking about transforming the mundane affairs of life into something significant and eternal in its quality. We have no idea what we're missing if we're not sensitive to His Spirit. We have no idea what we're doing if if we're not paying attention. He's calling us to spend time with Him. First of all, because He loves us and He wants to spend time with us. But secondly, because He has something very important to tell us on a regular basis. And He wants us to spend that time in His presence cultivating that relationship. He really, really, really cares 
And in His Word and through prayer, He speaks to us as He shapes our worldview and changes our mind and puts us in a frame of reference where we are in contact with His Spirit throughout the day. And what He's literally saying to us and to Martha is, however significant you think I am to serve me and make a great dinner, the most important thing here is to receive from me, to be with me. And Mary knows that, and I'm not going to take that away from her. But He's saying to us, you need to spend time with me. That is your number one priority. You need to spend time with me. If you don't, you will not even realize what you're missing. Very least among it all, I mean the very most among it all, is friendship with Jesus. Fellowship with Him. But beyond that, wisdom and direction and understanding and insight, and peace, and joy, and all the things that He promises to those who abide and rest in Him. And so, friends, no matter what it is that we are called to do, no matter what our service, the greatest value and the most important thing still remains to be quiet in His presence to listen, to, to talk with Him, to wait upon Him. You know, those are two different things, but they often go together. To wait until we hear from what He has to say. The story is told of Martin Luther. I, I presume it's true. I haven't read it for myself, but it was told by people I trust that uh, Martin Luther once said, I spend three hours in prayer every day except the days I'm extremely busy, and then I spend four. I've never forgotten that since I heard it. I haven't practiced it very well, I'll tell you that. But this story has really driven some principles back home to me. His routine was to spend three hours with the Lord. And that can be done even in our times. A.W. Tozer was noted for that. He typically spent three or four hours in prayer every morning. But, by the same token, when we're really pressed, we need more time, not less. Less almost assures that we're going to be up in the flesh and our own strength and effort. More means that we are going to be directed by Him. I find at this point in my life that there's so many things I want to do. Oh my goodness, the list just doesn't end. There's so much stuff I want to do. And when I talk to the Lord about it, He reminds me that more can be accomplished abiding in Him than can be accomplished without Him. That more can be done when we're resting in Him. I I can't explain that in mathematical or economic terms. I don't know how that works. But there's less wasted effort. There's less wasted steps. There's 
an adjustment of priorities. There's a, a consolidation of effort. There's something that happens when you put him first that makes your life count. That doesn't happen when you try to run it on your own. And there's no way around it. Mary chose the best portion. Have you? Have you chosen the best portion? The good news is, you have an opportunity to get it right. You're here today, you heard the word. You have an opportunity to realign your priorities and make the best choice. Another meal will be served soon. Don't miss the best portion. Father, thank you for your word to us. Minister to us by your Spirit. Let us not forget the lesson. Two women who loved you dearly. One of whom understood you. May we be that person. In Jesus' name, amen.